Choose Love Movement podcast listeners, we are in for a treat today. I have an amazing woman. Her name is Jody Blanco, and she wrote a New York Times bestseller book called Please Stop Laughing at Me, One Woman's Inspirational Story. Jody is a survivor, expert, and activist, and she's one of the country's preeminent voices on the subject of bullying. Inspired by thousands of letters she receives from students, parents, teachers, and adult survivors, Jody has become one of the nation's most sought after keynote speakers, seminar presenters, and crisis consultants. Uh, more than half a million students, teachers, and parents have participated in her acclaimed anti-bullying program. It's not just joking around. Her story of survival and forgiveness has drawn the attention of the national media as well as recognition from the United States government. Uh, Jody, I, I absolutely loved every second that I spent with your book, and I was so excited to uh, to be able to have you on this podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, I'm I am honored. Uh, I'm honored to be on the podcast. I'm so moved and touched by the Choose Love movement, and and you know we are very much syncopated here in our rhythms of the heart because Choose Love is all about compassion over anger it's about tolerance and forgiveness and and i was so moved by what you guys are all about so i mean we are very much uh connected of the same heart we absolutely are and you know you share in such a vulnerable way your story about being bullied in school and how incredibly painful that was. And, you know, I, I have to bring this up, but Adam Lanza, the school shooter, mm -hmm. that six-year-old son, he was bullied as well. Now, that didn't get into the reports, but there were classmates that attended school with him that told me that he was. And... He was in a tremendous amount of pain. Uh, at one point in your book, you say you can learn how to turn your pain into purpose and make a difference in the world, or you can allow it to extinguish the light inside you. If you permit the latter, you are sacrificing far more than your childhood to the cruel gods of popularity. And I, I thought that that was profound. And you obviously turned your pain into purpose. That's another uh, phrase that you used a couple of times in your book that really resonated with me because I have tried to do the same thing, turning pain into purpose. And uh, I, I wonder, I wonder, like, what's the difference between how did you do that? How did you not go? down the path of, of uh, where Adam Lanza went. Now, I know that you really struggled. You know, at one point you were, you were in so much pain that you self-harmed. And I know a lot of shooters are in so much pain that they're suicidal yeah. or they become homicidal and you had homicidal thoughts. Oh, yeah, I totally did. I have your Choose Love movement, by the way. I just, I have the website up in a little corner, like a little picture in picture on my, on my, um, on my computer, just because so, so that you're with me and I'm, and I'm here. So I, I just wanted to have it up just, just so it's, it's here so that you're, so that you're with me. Um, so, um, okay, girl, hold on, let me go back to the Zoom room. Hang on. I'm still learning how to there we go. Um, well, you know, it's interesting. When I was being bullied, when it was at its worst, and it, and it wasn't the bullying, and, and it's interesting you mentioned Adam Lanza with the, all of this, because in all of these, these, these tragically just sick, sick individuals who commit these 
these acts is that when I was being bullied, the hardest part, it wasn't all the friendship and love that I wasn't receiving. It was all the friendship and love I had to give that nobody wanted. Ugh. They just kept throwing it back in my face. And after a while, it, it was like a poison that just accumulated in my system. The hardest thing about being bullied for me, and certainly I've held thousands of kids in my arms who have either contemplated suicide, had suicide ideation, or attempted suicide. I've held parents in my arms whose kids completed it, teachers in my arms, and I've also held in my arms students who had, who've had classmates that completed suicide. And these were the students who felt responsible. They felt like it was their bullying behavior that mm. um, precipitated the tragedy. Mm. And what I've discovered in all of this, and it's true of my own feelings too at that age, it's the isolation. It's the loneliness. It's not necessarily just the bullying or abuse itself. Like I said before, it's not, it's not that. It's, it's the isolation. It's the sense that nobody gets me. Nobody understands me. And that's the hardest part about being bullied. And when I was growing up and I was going through that, um, what got me through that I didn't end up, like I, I of course thought about getting revenge. I wrote poetry that was dark. I mean, some of those poems are in the book, uh -huh, uh -huh. but I think what saved me was, was three things. And if we have any parents listening to us, uh, this is critical information. First, writing. All that anger I poured into those sick twisted poems because getting it out allowed me to breathe. And secondly, and I encourage any parent who's listening to us who has a child who's being bullied, and bear in mind there are two kinds of bullied students. There's the overtly bullied child who's bullied in all the obvious ways, teased, made fun of, digitally bullied. But then you have a phenomenon called the invisible student. The invisible student isn't necessarily bullied per se. They're not even necessarily intentionally excluded. They're just simply not on anyone's social radar. They just kind of disappear into the woodwork. Well, if you have a child who's either invisible or overtly bullied or both, the first thing you need to do before you worry about punishment for the bullies and all of that, that's a whole nother thing. And I believe in compassionate forms of discipline, restorative discipline. But the first thing you need to do is perform triage on your child. And triage consists of one word, hope. You need mm -hmm. to give your child hope that if they're not fitting in with their classmates at school, that doesn't mean they don't belong in this world. And you have to help them find a place where they do feel a sense of belonging park district, local library, chamber of commerce. I mean, I joined a theater group through the local park district that was about two or three neighborhoods away and it literally saved my life. So if any parents are listening, parents tend to be so afraid of the bullying behavior that's being, that's being perpetrated against their child but the bigger fear is their child's sense of loneliness and isolation. You have to tackle that first. That's huge. And uh, in your book, you say that in your, uh, it's not just joking around workshops, you let students know that bullying just isn't the mean things you do. It's also the nice things you never do. Like letting someone sit alone at lunch, always picking the same person last when dividing teams for class or talking about someone mm -hmm. instead with them. Right. And that that can be worse than overt physical abuse because yeah. it make the victim ask himself, what's wrong with you? It makes him ask himself, What's wrong with me? And he will likely carry that self-doubt his entire life. 
Right. Um, there, you know, the long-term effects of bullying have been very well documented, but what, what isn't often explored sufficiently is when that long-term damage begins to take root. How do you identify it? And I, I do a program, you know, my INJA program, I go into schools and I go into districts and dioceses, and the program consists of age-appropriate student presentations, professional development for faculty that's very strategic, a parent family seminar, a social emotional learning curriculum that reinforces the message of compassion and tolerance. And then, um, and, and also a lot of work with like administrators and parents. And the thing about this, this program that's, that's really important that I communicate to the adults and the students, because bear in mind, bullying is a matrix. The matrix of bullying is students, parents, and the school. All three components of that matrix have to be addressed in ways that give them tools, strategy, and inspiration, but that allows each of those stakeholders to appreciate and have compassion for the perspective of the other. And one of the most profound messages that I give to schools is that bullying is not just the acts of cruelty that kids commit, it's the omission of kindness. Mm. And so often schools have a very narrow definition of bullying. And unfortunately that narrow definition leaves out a lot of students, particularly those invisible students. Here's what I explain to kids. You know, if I slam you into a locker every day, if I call you a horrible name, if I, if I, if I kick you or mess with you, you can say to yourself, there's something wrong with Jody. she's a bully. But if all I ever do is look past you and through you instead of at you, okay. I don't even acknowledge your existence except for an occasional withering stare. It's not gonna make you say to yourself, there's something wrong with Jody." It may very well make you say to yourself, there's something wrong with me. The minute a child starts thinking there's something wrong with me or what's wrong with me, that is when the long-term effects of bullying have begun to take root. And if schools don't consider this a serious form of bullying, that the omission of kindness, then they're underserving a significant population of their bullied students in their schools. That's huge. And then to take that one step further, you say in your book, uh, and it's, it's, you know, your parents took you to see therapists and you say, why are the kids who get picked on by the school bullies always the ones who end up being poked and prodded in psychiatrist offices? Why aren't the bullies ever taken to psychiatrists? Why do doctors keep telling the parents of the victims that it's their children who need help? And what about the parents of the bullies? What's wrong with all the adults? It seems that if you're mean or cruel to another kid, that was okay because it was just a normal part of growing up. If you're on the receiving end and allow it to bother you, you are the one that needs help. What kind of logic was that? Yeah, I mean, what's, what's really interesting is that from the perspective, you know, when I do um, my parent seminars and when I do, you know, teacher workshops and educator workshops, what I'm always telling the adults is these are the things you should never say to a bully child. Ignore the bullies and walk away. Leave them alone and they'll leave you alone. They're just jealous. 20 years from now, or when you're older, you'll look back on this and laugh. And of course, I know how you feel. And there are specific reasons why those cliches don't work. The, 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 the overarching reason is that adults tend to look at bullying through the lens of an adult and to effectively intervene in bullying, to effectively not be counterintuitive as that section that you just read to me, you need to understand it through the lens of the child, not the perspective of the adult. And one of my greatest frustrations uh, as a kid, and I see this frustration in kids today, is that a lot of bullied kids are labeled overly sensitive. And here's the deal. 
The typical profile of the bullied student is what I call the ancient child. 90% of bullied students fall into this category. The ancient child is what you might term an old soul. The ancient child is the student who is typically more verbally, socially, and intellectually sophisticated than their classmates. They often have an extensive vocabulary and they're articulate. You know, when you're talking to them, you kind of have to pinch yourself that you're actually talking to a kid because they're so adult-like in their demeanor. The ancient child will beg their parents to stay up late if the parents are having a grown-up party because they have more in common culturally and socially with adults than they do their classmates. Mm. The ancient child, the parent will often say of them, oh, my kid is 13 going on 33. Mm -hmm, the mm -hmm. ancient child will say, oh, it doesn't matter if nobody will sit with me at lunch. The kids at school are too immature anyways. Don't believe it. The ancient child sees mm. the world through an adult lens, but they experience emotion and thoughts and feelings through the reality of their chronological age. That's why when adult, an adult says to an ancient child, they're just jealous, it's so painful for them because they don't want any more grown-up explanations. They don't want to know why they don't fit in. They just want to know what to do to make friends. You know, it's like the cliche, ignore the bullies and walk away. In the world of adults, if you ignore someone who's annoying you at work, yes, they'll stop, likely. In the world of kids, the more you ignore the bullies, the meaner they will get until they elicit a response. And what's the one thing that we tell kids, don't be a bystander? Then why is it we'll turn around and say to that same child, oh, but you're being bullied, just ignore it and walk away. Isn't that a mixed message? Aren't we saying to that child to be a bystander in their own life? So. You know, you talk about that excerpt from my book, that was a reality then, and it's a reality now that adults so often approach bullying with, with the deepest and most loving of intentions, but their approach is counterintuitive to what they seek to achieve. So Jody, you, you say in your book, I wish that my parents and the other adults would have counseled me differently about how to handle being picked on. You say, and then in another section, you say that talking about your parents, they were caught between wanting to save me from pain and wanting to teach me how to transcend it. And mm -hmm. so when you look back with all that you know now and with parents that are listening who have kids that are being bullied or maybe even kids that are bullying. I mean, how, how do you handle that? Well, there's, um, there's, what do you wish they, what do you wish that your parents had done? Well, the first thing that I wish my parents would have done is not constantly try to figure out what was wrong with me. Mm. You have to, fact, your dad at one child. point called you a misfit, right? And that was very upsetting to you. Yes. Yeah. My parents, you have to understand too, you know, because I'm 58 years old. So when I was in school, you know, the term bullying didn't even exist. I, I was one of the ones who introduced it when my memoir came out. I was really the first voice of the anti bullying movement. I was the first survivor to write a book looking back on those experiences as adult. I was the first voice. And back then, when I was a kid, it was peer abuse and the attitude was kids will be kids. So yeah. my parents would go to the principal of the school or a teacher and they would say that, you know, my daughter's getting, you know, harassed by the kids at school and the teacher or the principal, oftentimes the principal would say, well, there has to be something wrong with Jody because nobody at the school likes her and all her classmates can't be wrong. And so my parents would believe that and would take me from one psychologist after another. They wanted to try to get me onto pills. One yeah. doctor wanted to do exploratory surgery on me because they thought maybe I had a tumor that would explain my socialization issues. 
And the whole thing was so ridiculous. That's why I do the work I do now. When I go into schools and I talk to parents and I talk to students and I talk to teachers, what I do now is I try to help the adults avoid making the same mistakes that my parents and my teachers made. And what I wish my parents would have done differently is number one, not told me to ignore the bullies, told me that no one has the right to abuse me and that I need to stand up for myself nonviolently. I wish they would have told me what I tell parents and kids in hundreds of schools a year, that the bully isn't a bad kid, that almost always the bully is a child in pain acting out in a cry for help. And if we ignore those cries and they turn into howls, then we have a dangerous situation on our hands. I wish I would have known, you know, it's interesting, there was this seventh grade kid uh, when I was in seventh grade, and he, um, he, he, he basically instigated a group of his friends to jump me after school in a snowstorm, hold me down, and shove snowballs in my mouth until I started to choke. They were laughing the whole time. They thought it was funny. They were angry at me for defending a special needs student earlier in the day. I was really angry, and my parents were really angry, and all we could think about was vengeance and punishment. And we bullied the school into punishing this bully and he got a suspension. And when he came back from school, he was so skinny that um, I barely recognized him and nobody really thought much of it. And I found out much later around the time of my reunion that when that happened, his mom had abandoned the family, his dad wasn't taking care of the kids and no one was feeding those kids. And he was trying to steal food to feed his brothers and sisters. And he wasn't telling anyone because he was afraid children and family services would come and split up the kids. He didn't instigate that sort of attack against me because he hated me. It wasn't personal. This poor little boy was hungry and acting out in a cry for help. The girl who invited me to a party and got me all excited because finally I got invited to a cool kid party. And then when I showed up at the address she gave me, it was a parking lot and a forest preserve. And all the cool kids came out and said, yeah, like we'd ever want to hang out with you. And they left me there. I hated her for that. Mm -hmm. And I found out years later that her dad, you know, took his own life when she was at the house and she was dealing with that horrible pain and her mom wouldn't let her tell anyone. How I wish I could go back and hug those kids when we were kids and say, it's okay, let me help you, let me be your friend. If instead of punishing the bullies, we sought to befriend the bullies in the first place, perhaps we wouldn't have some of the situations that we have in our schools today. Yes. Uh, you say that I'm aware that being different is a social death warrant when you're 14. I didn't choose to be different any more than someone chooses to be gay or tall. You don't get to pick who you are in this life, but you can decide what you become. The popular kids who are often so cruel aren't bad people. They're just afraid of being alone. I thought that was incredible. And another place in your book, you said that uh, cruelty is currency in high school because it can buy power and popularity and, and connection. And so then you go on and you say, I think they sometimes secretly envy those of us who are different, not because they wanna be outcasts too, but because they wish they didn't feel forced to sacrifice their strength of character in order to be accepted by the group. Some of the meanest kids in school are probably compassionate and sensitive on the out on the inside, but they know that in order to be accepted, they have to be willing to be cruel once in a while. It's like flexing your muscles when you're a bodybuilder. You do it to reassure yourself that it's all been worth it. It's just so profound and and you know, a really it's incredible coming from you because this book is filled with tremendously cruel things that were done to you and to come out of all of that experience with compassion 
for those people, the understanding that hurt people hurt people, and then to dedicate your life to helping this situation based on your knowledge is really amazing. And you know what, Jody, we need it because, you know, what, what is it about current anti-bullying programs? You know, for me, I say uh, anti-bullying, which is a double negative. I mean, what is it about them that doesn't work? Because we have more bullying now um, than we did when we started tracking this uh, by the state and federal governments in and around 2003. And, and why does it continue to escalate, do you think? Well, I can, I, I can definitely answer that. Um, the reason a lot of anti-bullying programs don't work is because they approach it from the outside in instead of the inside out. And the programs are counterintuitive to how kids actually think, feel, and behave. And what I mean by the outside in is you have a bunch of adults coming onto the scene, investigating what's going on, and then offering, you know, all these different sort of um, tools of what to do. And while there's nothing wrong with tools, all the tools in the world, all the strategies in the world, all the posters in the world don't mean jack. If the child isn't inspired on the inside to use them, you must first inspire a child on the inside to have compassion, to have empathy. If the child is inspired on the inside, then all the tools from all the anti-bullying programs are great. But you can't provide tools and think that's going to solve the challenge, you have to motivate the child within. You have to create opportunities where kids can access their muscles, access their empathy and develop it like a muscle. Traditional punishment doesn't work because it only makes an angry child angrier and an insensitive child more insensitive. It's counterintuitive to the heart it seeks to uplift. Most schools, although it's getting better, still rely on traditional forms of punishment, detentions, suspensions, and things like that. What we need to do if we're gonna truly turn around the bullying situation in our schools is that we need to implement compassionate, restorative forms of discipline. For example, if you have a, if you have a student, a, a middle schooler who's serving a detention, okay, instead of just having that child do homework for that hour, have them dedicate half of that time to identifying a cause they really care about. Let's say it's animals. Then that child has to come up with an idea of how they can do something to make a difference in the lives of animals. And then they have to execute that idea, whether it's do, putting posters all over town, encouraging animal adoption, or whether it's doing a fundraiser and then donating the money to a local animal shelter. And then the key to that is whatever the result is. Like for example, let's say that child raises $500 for a local animal shelter then the manager of that shelter would do a video or send a note or pick up the phone and say, thank you for your efforts. Because of you, these animals got adopted or these animals have a home. It's about cause and effect. Traditional punishment only exposes kids to the consequences of doing wrong, but not to the joys of doing right. We also need to have programs in our schools that address the omission of kindness and not just the commission of cruelty. For example, if a kid slams you into a wall, they can get a detention or a suspension for that. But how do you discipline a child who doesn't invite someone to a sleepover, who doesn't include someone in a Snapchat? You know, how do you do that? We can't discipline something for someone for something they haven't done. So instead, come up with initiatives that help these kids access their empathy. For example, you know, if you have a group of kids who, um, who are less compassionate towards their lesser fortunate classmates, you know, have a field trip 
take these kids to a to a food bank or a soup kitchen with adult chaperones and they have to serve food to the homeless who utilize this soup kitchen and talk to them on a human level. Then these kids have to come up with an idea like painting a mural for the front hallway of the soup kitchen or putting on a talent show or writing a letter of encouragement, something that makes the people who utilize that soup kitchen feel valued on a human level. If you've got a group of kids who are insensitive or look down on their classmates who shop at Goodwill instead of Pink, if they're exposed to real people who have so little in this world, they will not make fun of their classmates and hand-me-downs again. We as the adults need to set the example of compassion and empathy. We need to inspire those qualities by example. And for any anti-bullying program, whether it's mine or somebody else's to work, it can't just be tools. There has to be a way to connect with these kids on a human level and motivate and inspire their compassion from the inside out. And then we have to train teachers and parents on how to intervene in ways that are consistent with what will work, not from the adult point of view, but they have to be able to see it from the perspective of the child. Those are the elements we need to truly, truly deaccelerate the cycle of unkindness in our schools. I completely agree. And, and at the same time, when you're handling it that way, you're addressing the pain in the bully themselves and you're helping heal that pain. I mean, compassion in action. When you identify the need and you actively do something to help ease that need, there's so much research that shows that all of the nurturing, healing love that you give out, you get back. I know that for a fact. In fact, that's one of the reasons I do what I do with the Choose Love movement is, you know, addressing a need and that's healing for myself. So, so important. Um, you said also in your book that bullies never remember, but the outcasts never forget. And that's so interesting because I have this image in my mind when I was in middle school. So I wasn't bullied. I wasn't the bully, but I was an observer. And I remember this like it happened yesterday when one of the popular girls, and I wasn't in her, her group, but she had called a bunch of people around to draw attention to what she was doing. And then she gave someone uh, in, in our class uh, that wasn't, that was the outcast, we considered the outcast, um, a present. It was her birthday. And I remember this girl, she, she said, you're, you're giving a present to me. She was so shocked as we all were that gathered around to watch this exchange. Um, this girl took the box. She was like, really couldn't believe it. She was trying to believe it. She was smiling a little bit. She opened the box and there was dog poop in it. So she dropped it, ran away crying. And then, you know, the, the popular girls cackling and laughing. We are standing around very uncomfortable, kind of chuckling uncomfortably, not knowing what to do. But I will tell you that that incident, the fact that I was standing there, that I watched that, that I didn't do anything, that, I mean, I, I feel com complicit with the bully and 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 that that has to be considered bullying too if you watch it and you don't do anything do you agree yes um what i what i when i express in my student presentations and my student presentations are really raw and dramatic i actually relive my past on stages and in gyms all across the country Literally, I can't just talk about it. It's like a sense memory. I actually go back to my childhood and I act out scenes from my childhood. And then I bring in the students and make those experiences relevant in their current world. And one of the primary messages, and in fact, 
the title of my program, it's not just joking around. I tell kids when you the when you look down on someone, even if you never say it, even if you don't bully them per se, but just the way you vibe at them when you pass them in the hall, it's not just joking around. You could be damaging that person for life. And I know I tell them because I'm damaged. And I talk to the bystanders all the time. And I said, listen, everyone tells you don't be a bystander, but they don't tell you what to be. And the thing you need to be is a friend. Being complicit, being the bystander, right? The person who just stands there and observes and does nothing. The reason that's damaging on a plethora of levels is number one, it's damaging to the recipient of the bullying behavior because they feel friendless and alone. Mm -hmm. It's damaging to the kid who's perpetrating the bullying behavior because that bystander is subliminally supporting that bully with their inaction, but it's also damaging to the bystander because when that mm. bystander grows up and they look back, they're living with that. Mm -hmm. So the best advice I can give to anyone if we have kids listening to us and you don't want to be a bystander, the opposite of a bystander is a rescuer. And mm. a rescuer is someone, it's not just about intervening in a situation where someone's getting bullied. It's about being the friend on the back end, about letting that kid know you're not alone. I want to be your friend. And when I go into schools and I do trainings with students, I always tell them tattling hurts and telling helps because tattling is about revenge, but telling is about getting everyone the help, including the bully, because often, you know, the bully and the victim are flip sides of the same coin. Mm. And I tell kids, you know, there are two ways you can be a rescuer. If you see someone getting bullied, you can go up to those bullies and say, hey, stop, leave that person alone. You take the person out of the circle. And then the third step is you befriend them. You ask to hang out with them. You do something cool with them socially. I said, the other option, if you're uncomfortable confronting the bullies, use a diversion to get the victim away from the bullies. Something as simple as, hey, I've got something really important to tell you. And then grab that person who's being bullied, pull them away from the bullies. And it's the same third step befriend them, ask to hang out with them. Because what you're really doing when you intervene in that way, you're not just rescuing that person from being bullied or harassed. You're rescuing them from the worst thing, which is loneliness. Yes, yes, yeah. Um, you know, you say at one point that you, you said that you were still damaged. Um, and in your book, you say that scar tissue is stronger than regular skin. And so are our spirits. Mm -hmm. And I thought that that was a very hopeful statement because you, you, you are scarred, but it has left you stronger from that experience. Do you agree? Oh, yeah. I mean, here's the thing. And, and you've gone through um, tragedy that's that I can't even imagine, you know, and I can imagine pain. And I can't even imagine that. And you've done something even more extraordinary. Not only did you turn that pain into purpose, but you turned it into an angel's wings. Hmm. And in order to do that, in order to achieve that transcendence of resentment, you have to perceive your scar tissue as your purpose. Hmm. That 
that scar tissue enables you to save others that without it, you couldn't have. And how do you know, Scarlett, that one of the people that your movement saved doesn't become someone who saves someone else, a whole country, a school full of children. You never know the impact of your scar tissue. You know, I have physical scars from a congenital deformity as a child, and I have emotional, spiritual, and psychological scars. My scar tissue is the part of me that I think is the most beautiful. I have more reverence for my scars than anything because they mean that I'm still here and I'm still here for a reason. Your scar tissue is sacred. Yours is even more sacred than mine. And that sacred scar tissue that you have means you survived. And that survival is for a reason because you're saving other people and not just their lives. I truly think you're saving their connection to their own souls. I, I think that we have this strange uh, expectation that life shouldn't be painful and, and we want to do everything that we can to keep our kids from having pain and ourselves, of course. But I think that we should teach and what Choose Love teaches is, is the expectation that we are going to have pain in our life. It's going to happen. And to provide kids with the courage and the coping mechanisms and the understanding that they need to be able to face it learn from it, grow through it, be strengthened by it. And then something you just said, take that learned experience, take that wisdom, that scarring and mm -hmm. use it to help make the world a better place based on your experience. And, and I, that has given me a purpose and it has brought meaning to the tragedy that I lived through. And I think that's the key to surviving well. Yeah, and, and the other thing about survival is that survival only has a dignity when that survival empowers others to survive. Mm. And survival for survival's sake is one thing, but when your survival becomes the mechanism by which you help others, that's a whole nother deal. I mean, you talk about scar tissue, to be perfectly frank, you know, the scar tissue that you have because of what you went through, I'm sure you have held other moms in your arms and parents in your arms who have sobbed and felt comfortable and safe confiding in you because they knew you understood just mm -hmm. like me in schools, I'll have kids come up to me, you know, I'll go into a school and do my student presentation and I'll have kids come up to me and confide that they're being abused at home or there's some horrible thing going on. And because mm -hmm. they confide in me, I'm able as a mandated reporter to tell the school, get the school involved, get help for these kids. You know, sometimes if someone's really hurting, the only place they feel safe is in the arms of someone who they know hurt too. You know, that's, that's a powerful thing. I mean, I look at what you're doing with, with Choose Love and I'm astounded because for the same reason that I'm kind of astounded that my stuff works with anti-bullying because so much of it is just common sense of the heart. This is, none of this is, is rocket science. This is about compassion. And, you know, and it's amazing 
choose love is so simple and so elegant and so doable. And my message about compassion for the bully, you know, and I get a lot, I get pushback on that sometimes because parents are so angry. But here's the thing, you know, if when you talk about like mental illness and you look at some of, you know, the, the school violence that's occurred in school shooters, and, you know, people will say, well, yes, but they were mentally ill. Absolutely. They were sociopathic or psycho psychopathic or mentally ill. That's absolutely true. However, what's also true is that all the more reason that there needs to be compassion-centric policies and procedures in place in school. Because if you do have a mentally ill student who's already unstable, who's already undulating with violence inside, being bullied, being ostracized, being laughed at, being made fun of, being tormented every day is only exacerbating that illness. It's only making a dangerous situation that much more potentially catastrophically dangerous. So we need schools to architect disciplinary protocols, policies, and procedures that are informed by compassion and driven by strategic ways to teach students, teachers, and parents awareness. This is what you need to look out for. This is what you need to pay attention to. This is what you need to do. You know, tattling hurts, telling helps, because when you tell, you're not being a snitch. You actually could be saving everyone's lives because the bully is bleeding too. You're helping the bully. You're helping everyone that the bully is hurting. The bully hurts others because they're hurting. Hurt people hurt. Stop the cycle of hurt. Yes, and, and I feel like until we come around to that realization, until we are able to cultivate the compassion within us for those hurt people, we're never going to get ahead of the situation. Um, and so when, when I was thinking of a name for my foundation um, and, and, and what the focus would be, I remember we were thinking about the golden rule, you know, mm -hmm. thinking about what, what is the most important lesson that you can teach another human being and that you can live your life by. And the golden rule is do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And you, uh, it's, it's so important. And, and you, talk, you talk about this at the end of your book, you say, the pain I went through as a teen strengthened me and taught me the truth of that wonderful adage about doing unto others as you would wish them to do unto you. I have discovered that doing what you love actually enhances your chances for success and treating people as you want to be treated is a good way to make friends and do business. And so, you know, there, there is such a huge opportunity with that to turn pain into purpose at one point you always you you, you also talked about how uh th there are no coincidences and and i believe that too there are no coincidences so the fact that you know you're you're going through what you're going through now is very painful but it's also not really about what happens to you in life because if you were sitting in a room with crowded with people the person on the left is going through something the person on the right is going through something it's more about what you choose to do with that pain, how you use it to help other people, how you thoughtfully respond with love, which is what we say in the Choose Love movement. And you are such an incredible model. I think that if we could also uh, cultivate the awareness in our adults that at every given moment, our children are watching us and learning from everything that we say, every facial expression, every gesticulation, every interaction that we have, you know, you're on the phone talking 
to a friend about another friend, your kids are listening and they're learning. And I think that if that realization alone can help us rise to the occasion so that we can be the models that our children need to learn how to choose love, how to be compassionate, how to be a good friend, how to have the courage to stand up for somebody. We are just as likely to bully as adults as we are when we're kids. I remember when I, I grew up, I graduated, I got a job and I thought, I, I cannot, so, and there was bullying going on at work. And I was so, I was like devastated. I cannot even believe, it never occurred to me that it was, it was adults that bully each other too. And I was so devastated. And, and so I think, come on guys, our, our whole message is choose love. Every interaction that we have is a choice. We choose how we treat one another. Our kids are watching. And so choose love in your interactions and it will help our kids too. Well, and, and, I'll, and I'll share two quick things with you. Um, you know, we inspire by example. So I, I will share, actually I'll share three quick things with you that these are, these are actually actionable points. If you want, if you're a parent and you want your children to be more grateful, you need to engage in spontaneous gratitude practices. For example, if you're at the mall with your kid and you see a janitor cleaning up, you know, a spill or picking up garbage on the floor, go up to the janitor, introduce yourself to him, you and your child to him, thank him for keeping the mall so clean for your family, and then march into the office and ask for the manager of the mall and say, we would like to commend the janitor. His name is this, we just met him and he's doing such a good job. How often do our kids see us complain about bad service and how often do they see us go out of our way to commend someone who probably never gets any attention or acknowledgement to celebrate his contribution? If you want your kids to be more unconditionally loving, if you want them to be the recipients of unconditional love one day, we've got to set the example of unconditional love. You know, go to animal shelters and adopt the pet that nobody else wants that's been there the longest. So instead of picking a pet the same way your daughter may be picking who's cool enough to come to her sleepover if you're having struggles with a child who's being a little exclusionary, show them an example of what inclusive love is, of what unconditional love is. We need to, we need to exemplify to our children the kind of love that we hope one day they will receive because they have mm -hmm. the tolerance and compassion within them to receive it. That is so beautiful. Uh, so beautiful. 100%. Uh, yes, that would the beautiful, beautiful activities. And, and I think the lesson there is that it's action. It's not just in your head. It's, it's actively doing action. something to help somebody else. And that's so be beautiful. Jody, do you have any um, parting words for the audience? Yes. Um, my parting words for the audience is thank you so much for listening to us. And, you know, if, if there's ever any way I could help, I mean, my, my website is just jodyblanco.com, J-O-D-E-E-B-L-A-N-C-O.com. Whether if you're a school administrator, a parent, a kid, if you need any help or support, please feel free to reach out to me. I answer all my own emails personally. I'm really good about it. And, um, and I'm here and, and I'm here to help. And you and I need to do a talk together somewhere because you inspire me. Um, you inspire my whole heart. In fact, you make it feel so big, it hurts my skin. Oh. I love that. You do the same for me. And, and, and I love that. I, I feel like you are a kindred, kindred spirit out there doing the exact same work. The things that you were talking about are, you know, what, what we teach also in the Choose Love movement. I would be so honored to do something with you. I think we should work together. I think we should partner. Uh, we're all in this together. And yeah. 
I just love the work that you're doing. And, uh, you know, I, I am also going to be calling on you for, you know, people uh, write me and they ask me very difficult questions and we still don't have the answers for them. I just got a question from a teacher the other day. We have a boy who uh, has made threats in the past. He uh, now has a list of certain girls that he has threatened to harm. Uh, the parents are upset. And what do we do? And I'm thinking, wow, I can't, I'm surprised on one hand that there's no protocol in place. We, I mean, my whole point is we're all just finding our way through this and, you know, we're all out of our comfort zone right now and we need to come together. And I'm so thank you for offering yourself as a resource because you are an incredibly valuable resource, somebody that's been there as well, but has a different approach other than discipline. I, 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 I will never forget when my older son's life was threatened in school and I, we went to the principal's office finally when they were forced to address it. And I got a three page list of uh, discipline consequences. And they, they looked at me like I was going to be happy about that. <laughs> I said, this is, this doesn't make me happy. What would make me happy is if you said you were going to call and find out what's going on at home and that you were going to give him the help that he needs, that would make me happy. But I'm not sure that every parent uh, responds like that, but that has to be what we start doing. Hurt people, oh, hurt people. You're, that's brilliant because what I always tell parents and teachers, curiosity leads to compassion. The mm -hmm. more curious you are mm -hmm. about the bully's backstory, the more compassion you will feel. And the more compassion you feel for the bully's backstory, the more effectively you'll be able to navigate a plan of action with everyone involved. And, you know, that, 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 that in a nutshell is what needs to happen. I mean, if you take a kid who's already angry and already violent and already potentially mentally ill, and all you do is punish and punish and punish and punish, there's a strong likelihood they're gonna snap and you're just driving them right to it. We need right. to intervene and help. The bully is a child in pain acting out in a cry for help. We need to answer that cry before it becomes a howl. For the mentally ill, that howl, is a dangerous sound. Absolutely. And then taking that approach also helps the victim and their parents retain their personal power, not, not be overcome with anger and be victimized. And you're also setting so, an example for the child, the recipient of the bullying behavior, because the example you're setting is one of tolerance and compassion. But when the parents become so fixated on punishment and vengeance and getting even what they don't understand is that's the spiritual lesson that's being imparted to their child your kids are sponges make sure that what they're absorbing is good for their souls mm, absolutely jody thank you so much for sharing this hour with us this has just been one of the best podcasts that I've done. I appreciate you so much and uh, I love you and I would love to stay in touch. And please and, stay in touch. Yeah. Anytime you need anything from me, I am I'm honored and humbled by your trust. And, and you and I are, if we, if we were any more kindred spirits, we would, we would literally be one person. <laughs> I totally, totally believe that. So everybody, everyone should read. Please stop laughing at me. One woman's inspirational story. There's so much in here, so much just gold. And uh, thank you for sharing your wisdom. And, uh, and, and everybody that's listening, be on the lookout for, for the Jody and Scarlett show in the future. We are coming. And next time I get to interview you about your book on your podcast. Now that would be fun. All right, let's do it. Sounds good. Mwah, thank you. Bye. It's all part of us. We can all choose love 
Listening to the Choose Love podcast. Our positive, empowering messaging is reaching millions of people all over the planet. Join the worldwide movement to choose love. Our programming is in over 10,000 schools, homes, and communities across the country, in every state, and over 112 countries and counting. We're giving individuals of all ages the essential life skills they need to flourish. You can be part of the solution too. We have sponsorship opportunities available that help support us and enable you to share in helping create a safer, more peaceful, and loving world. Contact me on our website, chooselovemovement.org.